Say, give God praise as you're sitting down. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, amen. Praise the Lord, amen. God is a good God. It's an amazing day when you walk up here and you realize I don't have my thing to control my stuff. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, God, is, God is so good. I, I am so excited about uh, the opportunity I have to share the word of God tonight. It is truly, truly, truly an honor for me to have had Brother Jim and Sister Mindy with us this morning, and what a powerful message of God this morning, amen. Wake up, church, wake up, and uh, that's just such a powerful word this morning, and just excited about how, how that, that God just intertwined uh, our, our series that we've been preaching uh, with the message this morning that, that was just so awesome. And it is truly an honor of mine that they've stayed over and they're here tonight. And uh, they're going to spend a couple days here uh, before they go to the uh, revival in Sedalia this weekend. And, and uh, I'm just excited to have them here. It's always exciting for me to have another preacher stay and hear me preach. Um, um, I told her, I told her, I said, well, I said, if you don't get a nap this afternoon, it'll work out well because you'll have plenty of time to sleep while I preach. And, uh, uh, but uh, it is, it's always an honor uh, to have a, a, a fellow, uh, other than the preachers that are always in the house, it's nice to have another preacher come in and, and uh, uh, you know, be even nicer if she actually likes a sermon. I, that's still yet to be seen. But, uh, but <laughs> uh, y'all been waiting eight years to like a sermon, but that's okay. Uh, but. I tonight want to preach a sermon that I sort of dreamed the other night. Now, I've got to be honest, the sermon I dreamed the other night was not in the Bible. Uh, it's hard to preach a sermon if the story's not in the Bible. I dreamed something about Noah walking on water and helping a lady get to an orphanage. I, I don't know. I don't know. I went looking for it. I thought, I have read the Bible a thousand times. I've never found Noah walking on the water and getting a lady to an orphanage. But, um, but I found it amazing that God sent me in the sermon. I, in this dream, I actually woke up. And I was telling Beth about this dream, and I said, I've never read about Noah walking on water and a woman going to an orphanage. And I went to Genesis chapter 8, and I found it in the dream. And I thought, oh, wow, I found it. And then I woke up about 6 o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning, and I, wa I honestly, first thing I had to do is I reached over and grabbed my Bible, my phone, and pulled up the Bible app, and I go, I knew it wasn't there. But... But I did find out that Noah is in Genesis chapter 8. It is the end of the story. You know, too many times I think we quit preaching before we get to the sermon. We, 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 we teach kids about Noah and the ark. But sometimes we forget to talk about the time in the ark. We talk about them going in the ark. We talk about them coming out of the ark. But we forget to talk about the time in between. And, and and God sort of laid into my heart to preach a sermon entitled, Don't Give Up, Release is on the Way. Have you ever felt like, I just need some freedom? I, 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 just, I just need a release in my spirit. I, have you ever? Mm, mm. Told you I move around a lot. Uh. Have you ever felt like somebody had just grabbed a hold of your mouth and clamped it shut? And you're like, I just need a release. Have you ever wanted to just cut somebody? I don't know where that came from. But, but have you ever wanted just to reach out and pray for somebody? And not necessarily yeah, pray with, with force. Have you ever felt like that you were just being hemmed in and tied up? Have you ever felt stuck? Have you ever felt lost? Have you ever felt helpless? 
and then some insane, crazy, I can even go there, stupid preacher comes up and says, God's got this. I'm going to tell you, I, I, I brought God's got this to this church. I'm the one that started the phrase here. And there have been a few times people come up to me and say, God's got this, and I wanted to just. Because at that moment, I didn't feel like God had it. I was trapped. I was stuck. I felt like I was inside the ark with all the animals. And if you'll remember back a few weeks ago, I preached about Noah being, uh, before the night's over, I'm going to talk about Abraham and the ark. Just get ready for it. It's going to happen. But a few weeks ago, I preached about Noah and the ark, and I talked about how that Noah got stuck in there, not with just with all the animals, but he got stuck in there with all of his kids and his kids' wives. Think about his kids' wives got stuck in there with their mother-in-law. Ooh, Lord have mercy. It, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a, 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 a fun experience. And in the middle of that, somebody comes and says, God's got this. Check his ear. Uh, All of a sudden, all of a sudden, we begin to realize that, that we're stuck. And we don't know how to get out. And we want to give up. We want to stop. But God says, don't give up release is coming. Release is on its way. There is a freedom coming that you've never experienced. There is, when we're talking about Noah, there is a domination coming. God says, I'm about to give you dominion over stuff you never had dominion over before. See, we don't preach about that anymore. We don't talk about the fact that before the flood, the, I don't see anywhere the Bible, anywhere where the Bible had gave dominion over everything, but when they came out of that flood, he said, I give you dominion over the beasts of the field. I fully believe that pre-flood man was, was uh, uh, a vegetarian. Praise God, after the flood, we got to eat meat. And all of a sudden, we had dominion over things we never had dominion over before. I got news for you. Some of you feel tied up. Some of you feel bound up. But I got good news for you tonight. Release is on the way. There's a freedom coming to you. There is a blessing coming to you. There is a promise coming to you that nobody before has ever had. There is a promise coming to you that nobody before you has ever experienced. And it's on the way. If you don't give up, all Roberts used to say, don't give up on the brink of a miracle. Open your Bibles. Amen. With me tonight. Genesis chapter 8, looking at verse number 15. Genesis chapter 8, verse 15. This is what it says. It says, let me find it here. There it is. Then God said to Noah, leave the boat, all of you and your wife and your son's wife and their wives. Release the animals. The birds, the livestock, the small animals that scurry along the ground so they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you right now. And Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your, your power, your anointing, your grace, your peace, and your mercy. And Lord, I, I know what you've laid in my heart. I know, I know the excitement that you've put at this sermon in my spirit. But, Lord Jesus, I want you to deliver it out my mouth with anointing, with power, and with passion. And let it be understandable, and let it bring joy to every ear that hears it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Don't give up. Release is coming. Now, let me just... Let me play Evangelist Tommy for a while. I was told a couple weeks ago that Evangelist Tommy is supposed to be here. That, that, that's my job now. Yeah. And, 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 and Sister Mindy, if you want to know what evangel- evangelist Tommy preaches different than Pastor Tommy. Because evangelist Tommy doesn't worry about the clock. 
And evangelist Tommy doesn't worry about what he knows. He just preaches. And, and, and so, uh, uh, so let me be evangelist Tommy here for a second. And, and let me back up just a little bit. Now, I've preached this a thousand times in six ways to Sunday since I've been here. But, but when Noah was born, he was born with a purpose. That Noah was born with a purpose. Most of us think we know what Noah's purpose was, but that wasn't his purpose. Most of us think Noah's purpose was to build an ark. We think Noah's purpose was to build a boat and save the man, save mankind and save the animals. We think that, that Noah's purpose was to save the world. I got news for you. There's only been one person sent to the world to save the world, and that's Jesus Christ. It was not Noah's purpose to save the world. It was Noah's purpose to replenish the world. See, some of us get caught up thinking that our purpose is to save everybody else. Our purpose is to, to go out and build the boat or do this or do that or build the church. It's nobody's purpose to build the church. That's God's job. Our purpose is to reproduce ourselves. Our purpose is to repopulate the earth. Our purpose is to build on what God has built on in us. Noah's purpose was to repopulate the earth. His purpose was to walk in dominion like nobody had walked in dominion. His purpose was to receive a promise from God that generation after generation after generation would be able to look at. It was more than a boat. Now, here's the problem that I think we have. We have it in this story. We have it in a thousand stories. I talk about it all the time. And that is we forget process. Now, if you went back to Wilmington Church of God where I pastored for four years, they never heard of God's got this. But what they heard all the time from me is it's all about the process. I I talked about it's a process to suddenly. There is no such thing as a suddenly. There is no such. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind. That suddenly took at least 10 days. More than the next step up from that is 50 days. And really it took took 33 years of Jesus' life. And actually if you want to get real about it, it took from the creation and the fall of man to the day of Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection. That suddenly was not suddenly. It was the end of a process. Last Saturday... We went to the MIP gathering for the first class. And I got to go there. And all the way back, I got to talk to Sister Sarah. And, and I don't know, she gets nervous when I start going. <laughs> it makes her nervous because I'm having too much fun. But, but as we were there, um, somebody help me with his name from Poplar Bluff. Randy West, thank you. Pastor Randy West, the associate pastor at the Poplar Bluff uh, Palace of Praise Church, he got up and he began to talk about his personal life. And he began to talk about working in the grocery store and how he had advanced from a, from a bag boy to a night manager and wanted to be assistant manager, and he didn't get the job. He's like 20 years old and didn't get the job. And he got mad and he quit. And the owner of the store came and talked to him and said, are you quitting because you didn't get that job? He said, well, yeah, actually I am. And the owner said, listen, said, you're not ready for that job. Said, said I, I put my son in a position that he wasn't ready for and he struggles. And one of these days, you're going to be the manager of the store. But right now, you don't know enough. You don't know how to handle the meat department, the dairy department. You don't know all the other things to do. You need to wait. He said he quit anyway. Said a couple years later, he went back and went through the process of learning all the parts. And Pastor West used a phrase. And I have a little list of about now eight things. That, that I used to sort of, I've recently written out, and I sort of, sort of my guide. I've used them for years. And, and I added this as number eight. He said, never abort the process. Yeah. 
Never avoid. What he was saying is don't give up. The release is coming. The job is coming. The victory is coming. The promise is coming. But before we get there, we have to go through a process. We do not serve a microwave Jesus. We do not serve an instant Holy Ghost. We do not serve a ready-baked Savior. We serve a God who believes and understands and lives by process. So tonight I'm going to do something a little different. Imagine that. I never do anything different. But in a few moments, I'm going to change this slide. And once I change this slide to the next slide, until I get to the conclusion of the sermon, I'm going to run on a timed sermon. I'm going to run six seconds for every day represented in every point. Now, as you begin to go back and read... Genesis chapter 7 and 8, you're going to find, you're going to find how long it rained and how long that the boat drifted. And you're going to find how long it was before they saw other mountaintops. And you're going to find how long it was before Noah, oh, see, I almost said it Moses there. Uh, everybody's going to be on the ark time I get done with this sermon. And, You're going to find how long it was before Noah opened the window and how long it was that the bird was out flying and how long it was for the next one. How long it was before dry land appeared and how long it was before God said, release has come. And as I begin to think about this process, I begin to really, God began to show me to preach this sermon timed. Six seconds for every day. Now, it's not going to give us, now what would really be great is if I preached this one minute for every day. Then we'd have had 365, a little over, about 368, 380 something minutes actually of sermon. And then you would realize the intense distance of time. But I figured most of y'all would not make it through a 380 something minute sermon. And... Some of you are going, oh, God, please help us, Jesus. So I decided to do six, and I didn't want to go short enough to do one second per day. So I decided to do six seconds a day. So this sermon is time, and you're going to see the timer up on the thing, and we're going to talk about the process. Now, here's the first thing we look at. The first thing we look at is 40 days of rain. 40 days of rain. Now, 40 days of rain is something we can understand. You see, the rain comes, but we know that it won't last forever. It felt like 40 days of rain this morning. It poured and it poured and it poured. And we wonder, in the middle of the storm, it hurts. In the middle of the storm, we can't get outside. In the middle of the storm, we may face some fear. There may be some thunder and lightning. Now, in this 40 days of rain, it was 40 days of rain and there had never been rain before. He was afraid. He was scared. He was nervous. Noah and everybody in that boat, they could hear the water falling. They could hear it coming down. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 17. It says for 40 days it rained until the floodwaters rose 22 feet above the highest mountain. 22 feet above Everest. It rained, but it was something he could see. When the rain comes in life, when the battle of that process comes and the rain flows in life, we can see it. We see the fight. We see the challenge. We feel the attack. We feel the fear. We feel the hurt. And and though we know that this is massive, there's something about knowing what you're afraid of. There's something about knowing that it's just the rain. When I was a, when I was a child, I was afraid of storms. And I was scared to death when it would rain and thunder and lightning. But my dad used to tell me, it's just a little bit of rain. It's going to come for a season. It's going to come for a little bit, and it's going to be gone. I don't care if a rainstorm lasts an hour or a week or a month. 
We know that eventually the rain's going to go away. Now, when we come into the spiritual realm, sometimes we face a rainy season. Sometimes we come into a place where the enemy rises up against us, and it seems to cover everything we know, everything we've seen. And all of a sudden, we feel the onslaught. We feel the attacks of the enemy. But when you walk into that house, and you know that demonic presence is there, You're no longer afraid of it because you know what it is. You can see it. You can understand it. You can feel it. When the rain comes, we are facing instant attack. But we know that we're going to make it through the rain. Noah was okay in 40 days of rain because he wasn't worried about anything other than making sure that boat didn't leak. In the middle of the rain, in the middle of the attack... We find ourselves making sure that we survive. We find ourselves like Noah. Noah spent the first 40 days of that cruise making sure that all the tar held. Making sure that all the pitch on the boat was taken care of. He made sure that there were no leaks anywhere. He walked around inspecting and making sure that there was no place taking on water. He could. He knew what to face. He knew how to fight. He knew what to understand. In the 40 days of the rain, most of us can survive. Most of us are okay in the four minutes of talking about a rainy day. We don't like rain. I'm not getting into the planting side and the harvest side, but but we don't like rain. Brother Junior came in today and said, of all times there's to rain, when we want it not to rain, it rains. But we we can make it through the rain because we know one of these days the rain is going to end. The attack is going to be over. The judgment is going to come to an end. And then we set off. On the hardest part of the journey, 110 days of drifting. Now, Pastor, where'd you get these times? Well, if you read the Bible, it says it, it rained for 40 days. And then in, in Genesis chapter 8, verse 2, it says that a total of 150 days from the start of the flood before that they, they struck ground on the highest mountain. So 110 days, the rain had stopped. The storm was over. The skies cleared. But they drifted. Mm. Now I'm going to tell you, this is where more people, this is the first place that people give up. This is a, most people make it through the 40 days of rain. But it's in the 110 days of drifting. That, that they start going, oh. We start making statements like, I just feel like I've lost my direction. I've lost my calling. So many times we get into this place and we can't see anything anymore. During the 110 days of drifting, there were no mountaintops. There were no trees. There was no land. There was nothing but wide open water, wide open sea. All of a sudden, Noah had to feel like that God had stuck him out there in the boat and let him drift. Pastor, why do you say drifting? How do you know he wasn't? Because God didn't build a rudder. There was no rudder on that boat. Noah didn't have a sail. Noah got in that ark, and he was no longer in charge of where he went. And all of a sudden, he would feel the boat go this way. And he was in no shape to stop it. And he would feel the boat go that way. And there was nothing he could do to change its course.
Sometimes we face challenges. Sometimes we face difficulties in our life. And we've made it through the storm. The rain has stopped. The, cloud, the, cl- the thunder has quit clapping. The lightning has stopped flashing. But all of a sudden now, all we feel is movement we can't control. When we begin to drift, when we get into the process of drifting, too many times we drift away. Too many times we give up and say, I have no control. But God says, I want you to be faithful. I want you to be. Can I let you in on a secret? If you're always in control, you're not in God's hand. If it's always working the way you set it to work, then you need to drift a little bit. And I'm going to tell you, some of us who like to be in control, I, I, I have been accused of being a control freak. Some of us who like to be in charge, God's going to stick us in a boat one of these days and he's going to set us adrift and he's going to tell you, you need to hang on because I'm sending you a release, but I can't give you dominion until you understand what it's like not to be in charge. Church, I am... Evangelist, Tommy. I am sick and tired of dealing with church people who won't be in charge. Sister Mindy said it today. The alarm goes off and we're too comfortable in our beds. We're too comfortable under the blanket. We keep hitting the snooze because we don't want to do anything. We want it to be our way. We want it to be our style. We want it to be our time. We want it to be this, that, and the other. God says, listen, I'm going to stick you on a boat somewhere and I'm going to let you drift for 110 days. 110 days adrift. No control, no steering, no direction, don't know where you're going, don't know what's going to happen, don't know where you're going to wind up. You started one place, but you don't know where you're going to end up. You don't know where it's going to catch ground again. You you, you don't know, am am God going to let this boat drift to a place that I can catch a mountain? Or is he going to let the boat drift into a place that I have to wait till we get to the bottom of the valley? You see, when we get adrift, we begin to challenge. We begin to be challenged because now we can't see our enemy. You know why so many people give up in the hundred and ten days of drifting? Because they, if they can't see an enemy, they create an enemy. If you can't see the rain, if you can't hear the thunder, if you can't see the lightning, then obviously God's got to be the enemy. Then God has to be the one that did this to me. God is the one that caused this to happen. Well, you're right, God caused this to happen, but it was so your faith would be built, not so that your anger could grow. You see, we lose sight of what we trust in when we can't see. That's why Jesus said, walk by faith and not by sight. When we begin to walk by faith, we start having the testimony of, uh, uh, of Jim and Mindy here. We ask them, what are you going to do in Samoa? And they said, we're going to go over there and we're going to have fellowship. And we're going to preach some services. And we're going to give out some shoes. And we're going to make balloon animals. You know why? Here's an amazing thing. They have a call. They have an anointing. But they've been set to drift. Because they don't know exactly how it's going to work. They don't know what's going to come together. 
They, they, they don't even know all the connections they're going to make yet. They don't know exactly how the boat's going to land. They don't know how it's going to stop. The storm is over. Oh, and when you talk to them, they've been through some storms. Every one of us has been through some storms. We can survive the storm. But the question comes back, can you survive the drift? Can you survive the nights not knowing? Can you come to the place that you can cry out? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. You hear those words? That's somebody adrift. The Lord is going to lead me. I don't know where he's leading me. He's going to give me rest. He's going to give me comfort. He's going to give me food. He's going to give me protection. He's going to take care. I don't know how it's going to happen, but right now I'm just going to enjoy the ride. When you're 110 days adrifting, you got a choice. Either you pace the floor or you, you pace the floor in worry or pace the floor in prayer. Where, where are we going to end up? happen I don't know how it's going to work or we start going oh God I don't know where you're taking me I don't know what you prepared for me but you let me drift right into your presence you let me drift right into your throne I got two more minutes I gotta hurry tell you something Noah didn't know where he was drifting to now I've hit the negatives let me hit a positive Noah didn't know for sure if he was going to drift into a wasteland or if he was going to drift his way into heaven. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know if he was going to drift his way into a place worse than where he left or if he was going to drift his way into a place far better than what he left behind. Our problem is we tend to decide that we would rather worry about a bad place than trust God for a good place. Instead of drifting and saying, you know what, God is taking me somewhere that I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not wise enough to take myself to. Instead of that, we get on the drift and we go, God, why did you make me live, leave that desert? Why did you make me leave that wasteland? I knew the problem there. We become like the children of Israel. And we say, oh, why did you bring us out in the wilderness to die? Couldn't we have stayed in captivity, in bondage? They didn't want to drift through the wilderness to get to the promised land. Instead, they wanted to stay in the bondage of Egypt. When you get 110 days drifting at sea, you get 110 days of waiting for God to give you an answer. And I tend to believe that 110 days of drifting was quiet. 110 days. And here's what you hear. And after 110 days of drifting, You hit something. Now, look at this. Genesis chapter 8, verse 5 is where you can find it. All of a sudden, after 110 days of drifting, the ark struck land. But it was 45 days before they could see other peaks. They didn't know what they had hit, they didn't know what had happened. When I was 15 and a half years old, the summer, the end of my freshman year in high school, or maybe it was my sophomore year, I don't remember, one of those years, and I just got my learner's permit to drive. And we had went to sell books back in Arizona. We had to buy our books and sell them back in the year. We went and sell our books back, and me and Dad had gotten a fight going to the school, and he wouldn't let me drive. My car, I'd already bought the car. It's my car. He wouldn't let me drive it. We get in the car to leave. We come to go to leave the school, and I come, and I did my best. Dad, I'm sorry. I'll listen to you, blah, blah, blah. Let me drive my car. 
You, you, know, you know how we do. And dad gave me the keys, and I got in the car, and we pulled out of the parking lot. Right next to the school, the Mormons were building a huge cathedral. And as we were driving, I said, let me show you this church they're building. And we drive by, dad's looking at the church, and I'm driving. And I see those exposed beams there? That's got the St. Paul in those beautiful. Now, I know now you can drive without looking, but when you don't only have a learner's permit, you need to look where you're going. And somewhere, the car drifted to the wrong side of the road. And the, the lane ended, and there was a concrete barrier to a canal. And I hit it. And in fear, I hit the gas pedal and ran up on it. We all hit the windshields and, 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 and cracked my windshield. Dad busted his knee. And we stopped. We bounced back, not wearing seatbelts. And we look up and all we see is blue sky. And Dad says, what'd you hit? And I said, I don't know. I'm just driving. I, I, I wasn't watching. One of the scariest places in my life is when Dad said, what'd you hit? And I didn't know what I hit. For 45 days, they sat on a mountaintop not able to see anything else alone. Oh, where are we at? Are we high or are we low? Why can't we see anything else? What, what, what's going on around us? It's in the loneliness that we feel like that we're stuck. I, now, I wish I could drift again. I wish I felt like I was moving again, but now I'm stuck. I, I'm not going anywhere. I don't feel anything. You know what's amazing? The same thing we just complained about. God, why do you just let me drift along when all of a sudden God goes, Poom! but he hasn't released you? He hasn't shown you where you're at? Now we start saying, God, let me move again. We start crying, I feel like I'm stuck. I'm trapped. God put me in this boat, stuck me on top of some mountain somewhere. I don't even know where I'm at, and he left me here. He put me in this boat to die. We know good and well we're not there to die. But in 45 days that you sit in that boat, you can't see anything else. There's no storm to listen to. There's no movement to feel. You can't feel nothing. You can't see nothing. You can't hear nothing. And it's just you. It's just you. And for 45 days, Loneliness gripped his heart. Loneliness gripped the spirit. Sometimes we get in situations where we survived the drifting, but we get to the loneliness and we say, I can't take it. And we give up. We haven't been released. Then we get to 40 days of waiting. See, they looked at it and they could see the other peaks. They can see land, but we don't have direction. They can see land, but God's not telling them what's next. We're okay. We're not on the only dry spot now. I can see treetops. I can see mountain peaks. But now for another 40 days, I got to wait. Oh, we know how much we like to wait. Waiting is so much fun. Noah and all the animals and all of his family stand in line for 40 days. For 40 days. I believe no direction. No communion. 40 days of just waiting. There's nothing more miserable than waiting. There's nothing more miserable than just. You know what happens when we wait? We start twiddling our thumbs. We start seeing everything. I'm going to tell you, 
Depends on who you're with, what happens when you wait. If you're with Beth and you're waiting, you're going to make a list. If you're with Sister Mary and you're waiting, you're going to find something to clean. Well, you know, while we're waiting here, we can go clean the stalls out. <laughs> Amen. That's me too. Yeah, if you're with if you're with Sister Ann, you're going it's a good time to pray. But a lot of us spend forty days of waiting, we spend it worrying. Mm. Oh well why why didn't we why don't we already we can see land, why aren't we already free? Well, why do we have to wait? Why, why, why can't we have? I, I look, that mountaintop's already dry. Why didn't I get over there? It looks drier than where I'm at. You can't see where you're at. Think about that. He could not see the mountain he was on. He could only see the mountains he wasn't on. And too many times we see where we're not and we think, oh, the grass looks greener over there. It would be better for us over there. And at the end of this 40 days of waiting, you know what the Bible says it is in Genesis chapter 8? New Living Translation says, he went and opened his window, the window that he built. At the end of his 40 days of waiting, God didn't open his door. Noah said, I'm going to open my door. I, at the end of the 40, I want to go and open my window and see what I can do. I want to see what's going on. I want to understand what's happening. Too many times in our 40 days of waiting, we spend too much time trying to cut open windows of our own. We're trying to open up doors of our own. We're trying to see how we can fix this, how we can make it work. 40 days of waiting, and we end it trying to fix it ourselves. And then we get into seven days of wondering. Because when he opened that window, the Bible says he released a raven that flew back and forth with no place to rest. He also released a dove that flew around and in the evening came back. And for the next seven days, Noah was left to wonder, what happened to the raven? Why couldn't the dove find a place to rest? The boat stopped. Why couldn't the dove find a place? And for seven days, he wondered. Then seven days later, he opened that window again. He let out the, the dove. According to Genesis chapter 8, verse 11, the dove came back with an olive branch. And he had seven days of hoping. Oh, there's an olive branch out there somewhere. Somewhere there's a, there's a tree of anointing somewhere. Somewhere there's a place that my anointing can come back. Somewhere there's hope. Somewhere I know it's going to work out now. Somewhere I'm going to make it through this. Somewhere hope is a wonderful thing. But it only lasted seven days. And I'm already through preaching about hope. And then we go to 60 days of anticipation. 60, what, what do you mean 60 days of anticipation? Well, now let me tell you something. This is not specified in the Bible. Except unless you add up all the time. And then you look at the verse that says that, that for 10 and a half months until the ground dried. And then you subtract, there's... There's two months there that wasn't accounted in the other stuff. So that means from the time the dove brought by the olive branch, there's 60 days of, mm, I had hope, but there's no dry land. I, I, I had hope. I, had, I, I, I wondered and now I saw, I know there's life out there. There's anointing out there but I don't see it. We can feel it. We can sense it. We can taste it. But we just can't quite see it. You know, that's where the anticipation is where we're at 
with the rapture right now? We feel it. We, we, we sense it's coming. We, we know it's right here. We, we can almost taste it. But it's not here yet. And we get weary. Another place we begin to lose people. They give up. Oh, they get tired of hearing. Jesus coming. Or we're like a rocket ready to blast off. And as soon as we ignite, God's going to move and it's gonna, church is going to grow and we're going to... Re- Dear God, I've been hearing that for 40 years. Oh, it's just about to happen. Can can I be real? It's just about to happen. Next week we got less, or this week we got less people than we had last week. I know it. I can sense it. I can't see it. Drifting is scary. Loneliness is scary. Anticipation is painful. Anticipation hurts. It hurts in our heart. It hurts in our spirit. Oh, I know it. I know it's going to happen. I saw the olive branch. But when? When? What is it going to take? I, I know it's coming. When? It, right? Oh, it's not here yet. Anticipation. Anticipation. You know, it's like a horse in a starting gate. He's ready to run. Every muscle is tensed. And all that horse wants to hear is that bell sound and those doors open. And then it's going to run and win the race. It's power that is pent up waiting for release. It is power. And we get mad at it. And it's painful. I'm ready to go. Let me go. I want to run. I want to do. Sorry for picking on y'all, but I had dinner with you last night, so that means you're going to be in my sermons. Uh, In one dinner last night, I must have heard four million times, I just can't wait to get back. I want to go back. I want to be back. I want to be in Samoa. I want to get there. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. Is anticipation. You know the thing about anticipation? Anticipation does one of two things. It dies or it builds. It either gets worse or it just dies. If we give up, we die. But if we keep holding on, it just keeps building. And it keeps building. And it keeps building. And it keeps building. And and God is tempering our hearts. He's tempering our lives. He's taking us through a process of control. So that we have control. We've got to be in control, not of what we do. We've got to be in control of how we feel, how we think. We've got to be stronger than the, than, than the anticipation. And when 60 days of anticipation is over, we're not off the boat. The Bible says, that at the end of that 60 days, it's not necessarily laid out in the Bible. That dry land appeared. 
But it was another two and a half months, according to Genesis 8, 14. That God doesn't open the door. What do you do for the last two and a half months? Somewhere. If we can get past the drifting. If we can get past the storm, we can get past the drifting. We can get past the, 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 the wondering and we can get past the, 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 the whatever else the other ones were. Some people took notes. You, you know what they were. We get past all the other things, the anticipation and the, and the waiting and the hope. We get past all that. And then we get to a place where we start saying, okay, what are we going to do now? When you get to this place, we start knowing. We still haven't walked off the boat. But the anticipation has gotten us to a place now. It's like, oh, I know what's going to happen now. That, that door is going to open up. But what am I going to do then? If we never allow ourselves to get to 75 days of planning, we become a failure when we get released. Without the 75 days of planning, we have no way to operate when we've been released. You see, we start asking questions. What are we going to do now? How will we worship? When he opens up that door, what, how, am I going to, how am I going to worship God? See, Noah had a plan. You read, the, read Genesis chapter 8. Noah got off the boat. He gave sacrifice. Noah planned enough to know what he could sacrifice. He's got the last of every living animal on the boat. But when you go back and find out, you know, we always say it's two by twos. Not all animals were two by twos. Seven of them and certain animals. And he knew what animals that he could sacrifice and still procreate. He had to plan. He began to think about, oh, what am how are we going to serve? You know what's wrong? You know what's wrong with Souls Harbor? Again, I don't tell you what's wrong with the other rest of the church. I don't know it, but I know Souls Harbor. You know what's wrong with Souls Harbor? When God releases us, we don't know what to do because we haven't planned to serve. We sit back and we go, wish God would let me go. And then God opens the door and we're like, oh. Now what? Well, I don't want to work in the nursery. Well, then maybe you need to go drift some more. Oh, I, I don't want to clean the bathroom. Then maybe you need to go back to some anticipation. I, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Maybe you need to go back in some of the other pro, part, parts because you haven't planned enough to be ready to serve. How will we reach when that door opens up? How am I going to reach other people? How, how, how am I going to go about life? How am I going to live? How am I going to, how am I going to let my light shine? But if church, I love the altar. I love the altar. But if we spend all of our time at the altar and no time planning on how to serve and how to reach and how to live the life of Christ, we become a bunch of fat Christians. And we're going to wind up like Eli, old and overweight. And when the presence of God is gone, we're going to fall over and break our neck. You know why? We're not planning. We're not, we're not pouring down to the next generation. I believe in that last 75 days, I believe Noah called together Ham, Sham, and Japheth and said, listen, boys, we're about to get off this boat. But we've got a job to do. 
God's going to get, I don't even understand everything God's going to give us, but we've got a responsibility. Ham, Sham, and Japheth, you and your wives are a lot younger than me and your mama are. And we're going to need some more people around here. I bet Noah was saying, look, we're going to do our part. But we hadn't heard about this dude named Abraham yet having kids at, at 100 years old. Noah looks over and says, folks, I'm 601 years old. 601 years. I do what I can do. But Ham, Sham, Japheth, you better get to work. I can't believe you. It's biblical. Let me tell you something. Our problem is, spiritually, we sit in the church and we expect God just to drop spiritual children in our life and we don't want to do nothing to create them. We don't have... We don't have enough passion in our own lives to create children, so we think God just going to create them. Do you know... God expects us to have enough passion in our spirit to birth spiritual children. We've got to have enough hunger and enough desire. I know those are words we don't think about in the church world. But what happens when we lose our our passion and we lose our desire? We become a dying church. We become a church that is waiting for the last member to die and the last one out the door. Turn off the lights. We become those green bins, big buildings with nobody in them. But all of a sudden, after 75 days of planning, after 12 and a half months, the Bible says God spoke. And opened up the door and says, Noah, get off the boat. Get the animals off the boat. Get your wife off the boat. Get your sons and their wives off the boat. Your promise, the promise of your release is here. Now, it's time to celebrate. First thing they did when they got off that boat is they started celebrating. They started worshiping. They started sacrificing. And they started reproducing. You know how I know some of us are still drifting? We're still anticipating. We're still waiting. We're still hoping. We're still wondering. We're still in the storm. We've got to be there because we're not reproducing. Church, we have got to be out there. Winning the lost. We've got, we've got to understand that God has given us our release. God has called us to walk in victory. God has given us an opportunity to celebrate. He's given us an opportunity to sacrifice. And he's given us an opportunity to reproduce. We have on the back wall. Hash marks for the lost that have been saved. And I was proud. Last year was okay. It wasn't enough. But last year we had 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 people last year give the heart to the Lord through the outreaches of our church. Wasn't great. But hey, even for a church of 100, that was pretty good. But can I tell you it's October? It's almost October. And in 2019, we have a grand total of 13 people that have given their heart to the Lord. We're not reproducing, church. We're not out there taking the gospel. We talk about it. We plan about it. We, 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 we get excited about it. But as something was said, I don't know if it's this week or last week, whenever it was, we had a thousand meetings in one week. Somebody said, our problem is we're having meetings about meetings 
to have meetings so that we can meet. We're, we're not out there doing. We keep having meetings about it. We keep talking. We're anticipating it, but we're not celebrating it. I've come by to tell you the door has been opened. The, the boat has been emptied. Now it's time to celebrate and sacrifice and reproduce. Quit hanging out in the boat. The last place we lose people is the people that never get off the boat. A year, 12 and a half months, a year and 15 days. Going through the storm. Drifting. Waiting. Lonely. Uh, um, um, full of wonder, full of hope, full of anticipation. Full of planning. What would have happened? God had opened the door and Noah said I really like my room things pop into my mind they're just weird I know that never happens to anybody like you but you know what I just saw for Noah to get off the boat that he had worked for a hundred years to build. He had to go build another house. He worked for a hundred years to build that boat. And a year later, he's looking at Mrs. Noah saying, Hey, honey, we're moving again. We're moving again. I just got the pictures hung up. Where he was comfortable, he couldn't stay. Our problem is we get comfortable in the vessel instead of being comfortable in the anointing. We get comfortable in the vessel instead of being comfortable in the destiny. Church. You want to know what this sermon's about? It's the same thing that Sister Mindy preached this morning. Wake up. Wake up. Don't give up. Yeah, you're going to go through some process. It, 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 there, there's going to be some struggles. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be lonely times. There's going to be times that feel like they last forever. But don't give up because there is a release coming. There is a release there. And for many of us, it's there. We just got to get off the boat. We got to leave behind where we're comfortable. And we got to say, give me what you have for me. Noah. And his family restarted the world. Said this at the beginning, and I'll say this at the end. Noah's purpose was never to build a boat. His purpose was to rebuild mankind. Your purpose is not to survive the storm. Your purpose is to live after the storm. We have got to understand. We've got to get off the boat. Pastor, what are we supposed to do with this? You're supposed to get off the boat. You're supposed to weather the storm. If you're in a season of drifting, drift in faith. If you're in a season of waiting, Wait patiently. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Pastor Brian preached about waiting last week. If you're in a place of loneliness, you're never alone as long as Jesus is around. If you're in a place of wonder, look at the wondrous glory of Jesus. If you're in a place of hope, celebrate it. If you're in a place of anticipation, let it build. 
You know the greatest thing? I, I got to go back to anticipation in a second. God's, you know what made Christmas great when I was a kid? Anticipation. Oh, oh. I found a stash of gifts one year. Going someplace I wasn't supposed to be, and I found a stash of hidden gifts. One of the most miserable Christmases I ever had in my life. Because there was no anticipation. I'm getting a new bicycle. But I already knew that. If you're in anticipation, let it excite you. Oh, oh this is going to be great. A couple years ago, Beth and I went on a cruise. All the way down, I was like, oh, this is going to be so We're going on a cruise. I'd never been on a cruise before. I didn't know if it was going to be good or bad, but I couldn't wait to get there. Yes. Anticipation. You're in anticipation. Get excited about it. And if you're in the place of planning, plan with all your heart. Because if you've made it to the planning place, that door's about to swing open. God's about to say go and you need to be like that horse in that starting gate and you need to run you need to worship you need to sacrifice and you need to reproduce find somebody and reproduce yourself in them if you do a ministry in this church don't be the only one that does that ministry find somebody else to do it Nobody else wants to do it. Well, then maybe you need to find out if you're a bad teacher. I'm reproducing right now. Because Sarah is going through the MIP. Minister Internship Program. You know what I'm going to be doing the next nine months? I'm going to be showing her how to do ministry. She got a different call than I got, but I'm going to show her how to do ministry. I'm going to stretch her. I'm going to push her. I'm going to laugh at her. <laughs> I'm going to make her uncomfortable. Because when I'm dead and gone, she might be dead and gone too by then, but anyway. When I'm dead and gone, she got carried on. I want to tell you what. Somebody needs to grab these boys. I asked a, I asked the question a couple weeks ago, where are you going to be in 20 years? How old are you going to be? Some of these boys 20 years from now they'll still be younger than everybody in the building in the room right now. You'll be how old in 20 years? He's nine now. Be twenty nine. Got anybody here younger than twenty nine, other than the Lehman boys? Twenty years, he'll still be the youngest one in this room. Let me tell you something. What do we want to leave our church with? Do we want to be dead in twenty years, or do we want to build in twenty years? Let's build it. Let's go out and do what we were called to do. Bow our heads together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you right now. I thank you and I praise you for your power, for your majesty, your peace, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, I ask that you would send your victory.